0: Well, again, I'm so excited about the baptism next Sunday, and I want to get into the message today. Um, you know, there's nothing more signifying, uh, signifying of a life of devoted to Christ than the first step in obedience after salvation, which is water baptism. Well, that's where we're going to rest today, but I want to talk about the one who really uh, stands out when we talk to water baptism. But before I do that and give you the title of the message, Nathan, if we're ready for the intro video. I'm going to show you what it takes to get out alive from some of the most dangerous places on earth. I've got to make it through a week of challenges in the sort of places you wouldn't last a day without the right survival skills. All right. Bear Grylls. We're not talking about Bear Grylls, but who we are talking about is John the Baptist. Now, how does Bear Grylls and John the Baptist uh, even compare? Well, here's the thing John the Baptist. Uh, was was called for a specific purpose to, to point the way to Christ. But he was very intense. In a way, he was showing people, you know, hey, listen, you may be in a spot one day or now where you need rescuing. And, and salvation uh, comes to those who are in need of God, not people who don't need God. And John the Baptist was a pretty wild and crazy individual, if you will. We're going to get into that in a little bit, but... But the title of the message today is John the Baptist, the real man versus wild. So who is this John the Baptist? What's his story? This morning you're about to hear another story that changed everything. Uh, This John the Baptist is one of the most distinctive characters in the New Testament. He had an unusual flair for fashion. Wearing wild looking clothing made of camel's hair. Good thing Peter wasn't around back then, right? I got paint thrown on him. And a leather belt around his waist. He lived in the desert wilderness, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Now, I could live with the wild honey. Might even get a locust down if it had the honey on it. But, but uh, you know they say honey never goes bad? They say that the Egyptians, when they found some of the... 2,000 years later, they found some ruins had honey in it that you could eat it. It was fine. That's amazing to me. When, back when we were worrying about watering the new lawn at the new facility... I thought, man, I need to make some kind of watering contraption because we didn't have enough hoses or pressure to water it all. The building water wasn't on. So I thought, I'm going to buy some big containers to use water. Well, um, Little Debbie, the outlet in Gentry, they sell these 250-gallon containers that once had some kind of food-grade stuff in it. So I bought two of these, 40 bucks a piece. I thought, that's cheap watering system, right? And, uh, but it had this brown substance, real thick in the bottom. And I went and asked them. I said, hey, what's that stuff in there? They said, It's honey. I said, really? I said, like, I could eat it? Like, it's okay. obviously. I mean, they're selling the food that, but you know, what happens to those factories, you don't want to stay in those factories. It's like when you go to McDonald's, you really don't want to know what's been done to your food since it was living till the time you're eating it. You really don't, I'm sure. And and so I was thinking the same thing, but we decided, you know, we're going to try to harvest that honey on those things. I guess they pour it down to a certain extent, and because they deal in quantities, then they get rid of those containers. Well, I put those on the back of my flatbed truck and drove it up the incline of our driveway thinking I'll just see how much we can get. And we started filling jars. And it felt like the story of the woman, you know, that had a little bit of oil. It kept coming. And we ended up with pickle jars. Pickle jars. I mean, tons of honey. We still haven't eaten <laughs> yet. Still a little nervous about it. We're trying to figure out <laughs> how we can make sure it's okay. But anyway, we harvest all this honey because I need to empty the containers anyway. But, but this John the Baptist... I mean, he was eating locusts and honey, dressed in camel hair, big belt, and he wasn't a guy that really played well with others from the way I read it. You know, they lived out, they are kind of separate, they like to fast hardcore and, and uh, live for God hardcore. And he, and he preached a strange message because you've got to remember, if he's the forerunner to Jesus, what I mean by that is he's the one who is set out in motion to get everybody ready that the Messiah is coming, and that's that guy, right? Now we know when Jesus came, here's the son of God, he's deity, right? And when he claimed that, there's some that believed, his disciples and followers, but there are many, even the religious people, who reject him to the point of killing him for it, right? So John the Baptist, when he's bringing in, think of this, he's the guy that's got to bring that message before Jesus. And they killed Jesus for it. So, so he's not got a real popular message that he's having to bring. But unlike so many people and what I've even been in my life, John the Baptist knew his mission in life. He clearly understood that that he had been set apart by God for a purpose. And through God's direction, John the Baptist challenged the people to prepare for the coming of the Messiah by turning away from sin, being saved, being baptized, signifying publicly this decision of repentance. Now listen, this is where Things had gone wrong in the church, if you will. Religious leaders were becoming more about their power and their control over the people, and we'll tell you what to believe, and we'll charge you certain things for your sacrifices. Remember, Jesus later goes in the temple and whips the money changers. That you know, is, is bad. And so John the Baptist is now preaching, saying that people are going to be able to connect directly with God. You don't have to have these religious leaders to, to bring you to God. I mean, this, this is dangerous ground for him, right? But one of the things that I have learned in my life is, whether it's hard, easy, or indifferent, knowing who you are, knowing who God's created you to be, being certain of that and not wavering is everything. Because some of the greatest struggles we go through in life really is when we start to question who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. You know, I, I... Jake, when I went to watch the football game and I was later, I didn't realize how many people come to the Bentonville West High School games. And so we pulled in. We had to sit on the opposite side of the team we're supposed to be on. And, you know, when you holler and all the other team people are looking at you, <laughs> about to get flogged, right? But I was looking at all the lineup of the players. You know, you've got a certain amount of players on the field and you got a lot of players out there. Some may get rotated in, but there's a lot of sitting there waiting. And I think, you know, there might be a few of those guys or some of them that just suit up and they want to be a part of something, but they don't have the drive the same but as the guys out there. But there's a slight few that go out there, and there's others that I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm training to do this, and I wish they would just put me in. I, I remember that feeling when I got out of the Navy and I didn't get to complete what I wanted to, and 9-11 happened. And I'm watching the screen probably about this far from my nose as, as the Twin Towers are coming down, And I remember weeks after that talking to guys that were still in the Navy that I was friends with and they're getting ready to go overseas to do something about this. And I remember all that stuff I wanted to train and do and put me in. There's a lot of guys that signed back up or got back in. John the Baptist was not confused one bit about what he was to do, even though it was going to be hard. Remember, he loses his head in the end because of it. He held no political power or influence in the Jewish political system, but he delivered his message with complete authority. He's a man of outstanding presence and solemnness that did not give room for mockery or debate. I I suspect from what I read of John the Baptist, he's a guy that when he spoke, whether you agreed with him or not, you kind of just let it lay there. You you had at least a reverence for this. The guy's wearing camel hell big belt. He's eating weird stuff. I don't know if I want to mess with that. When I was in school, I always remembered I wasn't a scrapper, but the kids that fought, I always had this strategy. I was like, they might be able to beat me up, be tougher. I'll just act as crazy as a loon if they ever come after me. Just make them question just for a minute. Long enough for me to get away, right? <laughs> okay, so I don't want to get off a rabbit trail. I'm going to tell you this funny. I, I had told you before about a kid that wanted to beat me up over his thought I was interested in his girlfriend is just because I was, okay, I told you about that. There's another kid I didn't tell you about. I wanted to fight me one time and I wouldn't like I said one fighter. I was always scrawny. I didn't get into lifting weights till at the end of school. So scrawny pear shaped you know, not an athletic person. I mean to me, the athletic accomplishment was how many nachos and jalapenos and cheese I could get on my plate after school and watch TV. And this kid was threatening me and I said, "Listen, you may beat me. You may beat me down, but I'm taking a souvenir. I'll take your ear off. I'll take a finger off something. I'm going to bite something off of you and you're going to lose something. But go ahead if you want to if you want to beat me up, but you're going to lose something." crazy worked. He never touched me. <laughs> I don't even know if I got that from a movie or not. I just remember. I remember that. He got me fired up, and I was really afraid of getting beat down, and the hurt that was coming, I thought, I know, it worked, though. He decided he liked his fingers and his ears and all that. So This, this man we're reading about, John Baptist, he was a brass tacks to the points. No messing around here, preacher. People could not resist the overpowering truth of his words as they flocked by the hundreds to hear him and be baptized. Because you remember, there was a lot of people messed up in their faith in God and partly because of the religious leaders, the way things were going. But all through the history of man, there's been one thing that's very true about us, is we do have a God-shaped hole in our life. And it's really all of us. Made in his image. And listen, when the world tries to conform us to things that we are not created to be, the emptiness, the despair, the confusion. And so then that puts us in this point of you have this desire to connect with who you're really supposed to be. And so when John the Baptist starts preaching about this Messiah to come, that people had an opportunity to connect with God personally, be personally who God created them to be, it shook things up. And he as he attracted the the attention of the crowds, he never lost sight of his mission to point people to Christ. Listen, we can't can't ever lose sight of what we're doing here. Throughout the history of New Song, I've watched myself, I've watched other leaders, and there's always these opportunities to get sidetracked from what we're really here to do. What we're really here to do is lives are changed. That's your life as you sit in this seat That's the lives of the people who are not yet sitting next to you in the empty seats. But we're never here to be entertained or just enjoy a service. There's nothing wrong with being happy and joyful. Man, I came in to our worship service, which I'm always more favorable to than any other worship service. And we came in late and my family, we got to sit in the back together, you know, during worship. And uh, I probably was, Yelling the words out way too loud for the people in front of me. Eliza was looking at me like I was yelling too loud. Um, But you know there's nothing wrong with the enjoyment of being together in worship. But listen this all has to lead somewhere. I mean you don't have to respond in any way with a hand or anything. But listen if any of you have grown up in church or you've been in church long enough. Don't you really hunger for this to do something so radical in your life that it changes everything. I mean, I don't know if I'm the only one here. I mean, I'm the pastor. This has something to do with my role and how people see me. I get that. I have some skin in the game. But, but, but besides that, your work, some of you, God will always have you as a lay person. That means you'll have a secular job and you'll come and, be, and do things for the kingdom. But, you know, you're the ones that are given towards flooring. You're the ones that are praying for the church. You're the ones that, you know, you find some kind of satisfaction in doing what you do for a living and there's nothing wrong with that. That's a calling in itself. But at the end of the day, Everything you do without the intensity of God's power working through it feels meaningless, doesn't it? I remember the feeling of walking in Walmart before God really just turned the heat up on me and walking in being like, "Oh, this is just painful doing this every day, But smile and you smile and you know I've always been taught to try to be a high performer, so you're smiling, you're trying to put the thing on for the boss and, and go and, and be but there's a difference between when God revealed to me that I was going to be leaving Walmart and become a pastor, even before that, but when he started really working on me, there's a difference between sitting there and looking at uh, uh, shoplifting cases and going over those when I was asset protection. There's there's a difference between that and someone walking into my area and saying, can you pray with me? Because, man, my family's got trouble. And I know the rules of Walmart and all that, but just taking that moment, God, laying hands on out loud, in the name of Jesus. And then hearing testimonies, things change around. Sandy... See, that's what I love about you being here too because you were there. You know, we prayed in my office, didn't we? And we don't care what the rules were because in that situation, God trumps that. But but amazing things happen. You remember Deborah who was dealing with cancer and even though she, she didn't lose her battle, that's how they saw it. But the impact she had because of her faith in Christ on our boss and our team members was crazy. And see, John the Baptist, he was this kind of guy who just said, who just said, you know what, I know my purpose, I know what I'm supposed to be doing, and I'm not going to waver from that. And listen, if I have to do it in a crazy way, that's fine. But I'm not going to let anybody change my mind. And listen, when God starts speaking to your heart about what you're supposed to do, the very first thing the enemy is going to do is add a bunch of other voices. Sometimes well-meaning Christians will try to confuse your, your calling too hey, pastor, I really think we have this ministry. I really think we have that. There's nothing wrong with suggestions. But if it's contradictory or takes away or not the right timing for what God has told me specifically we should be doing, I'm finally grown to the point that I can just love you. That's awesome. Maybe down the road right now. No. But I chased my own tail forever because I started learning that was a lot of people have suggestions and then I would say, okay, I'll go do that. And I'd, I'd be trying to get that thing going. And then all of a sudden, mentors and everybody helped they like him and said, hey, make them chairman of the board for that or make them head of that, that thing. The suggestions go way down when you start telling the person to give the suggestion. It's their, their responsibility, right? This is a, a, an interesting thing about John the Baptist when we look at a story about his mother, Elizabeth, who was a relative of Mary, and the mother of Jesus. And the two women were pregnant at the same time with Jesus and with John the Baptist. And the Bible says in Luke 1, 41, when the two expectant mothers met, the baby leaped within Elizabeth's womb as she was filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, if you really start trying to connect the dots from God's word and what you experience today, that 2,000 years of separation between some of these accounts, it doesn't seem like 2,000 years anymore. It doesn't seem like different people than you. It, it begins to really come home because when we're worshiping, I feel something leaping in me and I realize that the Holy Spirit, that that God, when he comes into a place and when he has intention of making a change, then then those who are hungry for that begin to leap inside. And John the Baptist in the womb of his mother, when Jesus came into close proximity, he leaped in his mother's womb. it's just it's just amazing to me that we often don't make the connection between what God's telling us here and what happens in our in our spirits today. The angel Gabriel had already foretold the miraculous birth and perfect ministry of John the Baptist to his father Zechariah. And the news was a joyous answer to a prayer for the previously barren Elizabeth. Can you imagine in this day and time a woman's worth in this world was so much about whether she could bear children or not, especially a son or sons. So, so the shameful thing that she could not, to her, could not produce a child, that was a miracle and stuff that she not only was having a baby, but the forerunner to the Messiah. And it also speaks to me about how God will take the most barren situation in your life. And when you think that all hope has been exhausted and there's none left, God will say, you know, not only is there no hope left, I want to do something incredible in you. He likes to take those who seem like they have nothing, came from nothing, who have no hope, and show them how powerful God he is and raise them up and do mighty things. I look at these two guys sitting here, and we brought you up before, but I mean enemies at one time back in the day. And, and God literally put you together so that that the other would come to know Christ. And now you sit together in church. John was to become the God-ordained messenger proclaiming the uh, arrival of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And the remarkable ministry of John the Baptist included the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River. And this is where I pull our focus today because of next week, the importance of what happens next week. You can come to know Christ in many ways. In fact, I listened to a Robert Morris message from Gateway Church recently where he showed the room key of the hotel room where he was saved. So, you know, it doesn't have to be a church service where you're saved. It, it can happen in many places. But there's something very powerful about when you take that private, personal decision. Well, it's never meant to be private. You take that personal decision and you make it public. You see, Jesus wasn't just going down to take a dip in the river. John the Baptist, when he was baptized, it wasn't about just you know, pretending we're washing off the sins. It was more about the obedience of walking in the way of Christ. And here's what I mean by that. I have watched many times in the believe, lives of believers, new believers, where for some reason, for whatever reason, they are either fearful or or hesitant about being baptized in water. And I believe it's because they don't understand the significance of what happens when you do that. You see, not only is it that you're doing this public confession before others, but you're truly through something signifying the identification of you and Christ. Both have died to your sins, right? Christ became our sin. He was buried and rose again. When I go to the baptisms at the jail, they literally will have uh, sometimes the... uh, Uh, the one doing it, he's had them before take a rock and hold it in hand as they get in the tank and say, that signifies your old self, the old man. And when you go down the water, I want you to drop that rock and leave it there because he understood it's important for us to to identify Christ and say, we are leaving the old sins behind. Because invariably what happens is, we know God's word says, when you become a believer, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You are a new creature. The old man has passed away. The new man is here. But the enemy wants to tell you right away, you didn't really change. You didn't really change. And what I watch happen in new believers who, I don't, I, I don't like to get in front of people. I don't want to be wet and, and, you know, I don't want to do that in front of people. What I watch is they struggle and struggle to mature in their walk because there's one act of be obedience that God asked, that Jesus asked us to do to follow him. A physical outward symbol I've dined yourself and walked with him. And when you reject doing that, you're already on a path of rejecting his way. It's that serious. It doesn't mean that you won't, I don't believe that someone can not be water baptized and, and then go to heaven. But here's, here's, let me clarify that though. There's a difference between coming to know the Lord and being hit by a car or something going on to heaven before you have a chance to be baptized. Because the thief on the cross, remember, that accepted the Lord that day on the cross, didn't get a chance to be baptized. So we're not talking about a salvation issue. We're talking about the fact that you don't want to start out your walk with the Lord in disobedience to what he's asked you to do. And so when John the Baptist even re- didn't want to baptize Jesus, didn't feel worthy, he said, don't, you know, you, you must do this. I, I must show the way. I mean, it would be contradictory to everything John the Baptist had been brought up to do to point the way to the Messiah, to then turn around and say, but I cannot do this part of the work. It's an all or nothing everything about following Christ is an all or nothing. As soon as you put a reservation in there of what you will not do, you're immediately on the path of rejecting his ways. And You have to be very careful because that can turn south into rejecting him completely. So you see, many churches may make their foundational belief on water baptism like that is salvation. That is not the salvation act. That is the public confession of that act but it is vital to the life of the believer. And John the Baptist pointed the way. I want to give you a couple of life lessons from John the Baptist, who Jesus called one of the greatest men ever lived, or the greatest man that ever lived. He's mentioned in all four Gospels. John the Baptist is Matthew chapter 3, 11, 12, 14, 16, 17, Mark 6 and 8, Luke 7 and 9, John 1. And he is also referenced several times throughout the book of Acts. But John the Baptist was a pivotal and indispensable character in God's plan for redemption of man and the coming of Jesus. John the Baptist, and I want to just cover this quickly. As soon as I can get my machine here to cooperate. The first thing that John the Baptist did it was self denial. Much like how the Holy Spirit operates, the Holy Spirit isn't there to draw attention to the Holy Spirit, but to point us to Christ. And that was John the Baptist's job, just like it is ours. It's so easy so many times for us to get caught up in being a Christian so that people see us that we forget it's really not us that they want we want them to see we want to see Jesus through us. We want to be Jesus with skin on. When the religious leaders came and questioned John, they wanted to know who he was. Are you Jesus? Are you Elijah? Are you Moses? He answered no to all these questions. Well then who are you? Now John could have said I'm John the Baptist. He could have said, I'm the forerunner to Christ and I have come to prepare people for the Lord. He said, I I am his greatest prophet and the Messiah. I'm his cousin. John could have answered any number of ways to draw attention to himself to steal the glory, but he didn't do that at all. Notice his answer in verse 23. John said, I'm just a voice, just a voice. Listen, until we come to that place in our lives that we all care about promoting Jesus over ourselves, we're going to struggle with our purpose and our plan in our lives. That's foundational. It doesn't matter if you're a lay minister, called to be a missionary full-time, whatever you're called to be, the very foundational part is you first have to learn to die to yourself and not draw the attention to yourself, but to Jesus. That's why I harp so much about how we present ourselves on social media or other ways because we're to be representing Christ. Not to clean up our act ourselves and just act the part, but to let him change us so that those things that don't represent him well never come out. The second thing about John the Baptist, the second ingredient of character, must be to present a servant's heart. I mentioned last Sunday that pretty soon I'm going to spend a series on, on talking about what it is to really be a servant. And it's going to play into simple things about if you're a team member here, where we park, how we respond to people, uh, what happens when they walk through the doors. All those things add up, but, but there has to be a servant's heart. When John said that he was just a voice, what he was saying is that he recognized that Jesus is Lord and he was not. It's like the Bible college professor I had that would have us repeat at the beginning of class every time, there is a God and I am not him. He'd start the class that way. Let's all repeat together. There is a God and I am not him. And John the Baptist understood that. God had called and commissioned him to do this thing and he did it with excellence. But he always realized it wasn't about him. It was about Jesus. The last thing about his character, the and ingredient of character that, that's important is absolute surrender. Absolute surrender. The Pharisees wanted to know why John was doing these things if he wasn't the Messiah or one of the, the other men. Now, this wasn't an unfair question. I mean, when John began baptizing Jews, many of them took offense to the act. The Pharisees strongly objected to it. I mean, if we didn't know anything about water baptism this day and time, right, some guy comes in saying he's pointing the way to the Messiah and begins making people take baths. We don't need baths. They had to understand what was happening because I'm sure on the outside it looked like, okay, you're saying now to connect to God, we've got to go, go underwater. You see, the Jews considered themselves to be God's chosen people. They didn't need to wash off. Then here comes this man who tells them that they are strangers to the grace of God and were aliens, separated from God because of their sin. It didn't matter that there was this whole history of them walking away from God's plan and him having to punish them, bring them back, you know, as children. When they asked John why he was doing all this, he again proclaimed Christ. His authority came from God, not from him. And that's what we have to understand about the authority we've been given is that we aren't the ones with the authority. We're the ones shining the authority through obedience to his word. We're the ones that proclaim the authority of God, not the ones with authority. We do a whole message about when Jesus died on the cross, was buried, went down and got the keys to death, hell, in the grave. He proclaims after that, all dominion has been given to me. Now, what, why at that point? And I said this could be a whole nother message. But he said that because at one point we could read at the beginning of time that when Adam and Eve, God had given Adam and Eve dominion over this world. And they handed it off to Satan. And Satan had dominion until finally when Jesus descended and took that. And remember the first appearance he had? He's like, don't touch me. I haven't yet ascended my father. He had become sin for us. There is, there is a taking back of the dominion. So Jesus is the one with the dominion. He's the one with the authority. We are simply in obedience, just like water baptism, trying to follow every step of the way that he's commanded us to do so that we can project, so we can proclaim, so we can be his light, so we can be his authority in a world where authority of God is being challenged. Think about these qualities. Self-denial, a servant's heart, absolute surrender. Do these three ingredients make up your character? This is the challenge. We need the Holy Spirit to always be shining the light in our hearts because we don't want to be going the wrong way. Self-denial, a servant's heart, absolute surrender. Do these things represent where your heart is today? They are the stuff of spiritual giants. And if there ever was a spiritual giant, it was John the Baptist. You know, I, I know this is probably in the back of my mind when I prepared this, but in first service, I didn't even really get to that little blurb there. But I sat in that service with Pastor Mike, and I was thinking about the fact, I was humbled by the fact that he went down the same road. He shared that they had a target to build their building for like $70 a square foot and how banks and everybody thought they were crazy, and you just feel like you're listening to yourself, right? And, and I thought, and all that, though, with them worried, just a few months ahead of us through the project, right? And all the same worries we had, but he'd call me up and say, Brother, do you need some parking lot light poles? I, I have some I can give you. I can give you about $3,500 worth of light poles. Hey, hey, brother, can you guys use some paint? Hey, brother, can you guys use... I can tell you, I wish it was always that way in the kingdom, but many times churches are competitive. We aren't even in the same denomination. And I thought in that service, I thought, he's a spiritual giant. What do you think about this, but I thought, that's a sign of a spiritual giant, someone who can put aside their own struggles their own challenges and keep hold of what the real vision and mission is so do these ingredients make up our character jesus seemed to think so he told his disciples among them that are born of women there hath not risen a greater than john the baptist let me help you to see we, we all agree that we have been called to profess Christ to a dark, dying world. I think we could all agree to that, right? We, we all agree that we ought to do everything we can in the bounds of Scripture to reach people, right? We all agree that we need to be winning people of all ages, old, middle and middle age, and all to the Lord, right? It, it doesn't matter. They all deserve to know Christ. Would this church say as a whole that, that reaching young families and children... Uh, uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ is something we need to do. I think we'd all agree that. But here's where it gets real is when it starts costing us. And again, not talking about finances, but when it starts costing us. What happens when your church has to change the culture just a little bit because there's a new uh, uh, target of people that God is bringing to us? I remember when Danny came to me and said, Pastor, I think we need to start giving these guys a ride from Clear Over in the Hedge of Oklahoma to your, our church Because they want to know about God. Uh, We didn't have any money. We had that van and no money for gas. But we did, and God blessed. But we're getting ready to move to a new building. And even though it's just a few miles over, same city, you think all the same people, right? I guarantee you that moving to that location with a different-looking building and more opportunity that will draw people that we never thought we'd draw before. They may look like you, they may not. They may do life like you, they may not. They may have incomes like you, they may not. But how far are we willing to go to reach the kingdom? It's not about just making it friendly like Walmart, fast, clean, and friendly. It's not about that. We could try to be really sly about how we reach people for God, but the key is reach them for God. Are their lives being changed? Some churches have split over the fact that the preacher felt like he needed to switch to a different version of the Bible, same Bible, same meaning, still true, Switched to a different version because they are getting people in that were new Christians and felt like the version they were using, King James, was hard for them to understand. And churches have split over that. We always like to pick on the color of the carpet, but sometimes it's, it's a little bigger deal. It's a little harder to see those lines. I know churches that they are so much about the King James. When we go to Bible quiz, their kids have to have special allowance because they are only using King James. They're not allowed to use anything else. And that's within the assemblies of God. So so again, where's our hearts? John the Baptist again displayed, and Jesus said, Not a greater man, but he displayed these winning characteristics self-denial, a servant's heart, and absolute surrender. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now as your word is being buried in our heart that we might not sin against you, Lord. I just pray in this room, Lord, that you begin to settle in our hearts that, God, we are here to to serve. We're here, Lord, for self-denial, to point to you, a servant's heart, Lord. Absolute surrender. That anything else will stunt the spiritual growth in our lives. God, if we really want to serve you with reckless abandon, be able to walk in our workplace, pray for someone who is sick and see them healed, if we want to be able to walk in and pray for a family who is broken, Lord, and then be brought back together, if we want to see your power coursing through our lives, Lord, and and people's lives being changed all around us, then, God, it's time for us to completely deny ourselves, let you birth that servant's heart in us and, and grow that completely surrender. With every head bowed and I closed, this is something I want to ask today. Um, first of all, if, if you need to make your relationship right with Christ, I don't want to leave here without that opportunity. So if you're here this morning, you say, I, either I have not made a decision for Christ, or I I have made a decision, and I've been struggling so hard, and I feel like I'm at the verge of, of pushing Him away. First of all, no one can snatch you from the hand of Christ. If you made a decision to follow him, even Satan himself can't, but we do have the ability to make decisions to walk away. So if you're here today and you need to make a right relationship with Christ, why don't you just raise your hand quickly so I can pray for you. Just a minute longer. I just want you to have the opportunity. Alright, if you're here this morning and you've made a decision to follow Christ, but you've not yet been obedient in water baptism, you've not been baptized in water. Again, with every head bowed and eye closed, I just want you to raise your hand so I can actually connect with you and talk with you about that. If there's anyone here that's not yet been baptized in water. Thank the Lord. I'm praying that we've all all done that. You can look up here. We've got great things ahead, folks. I mean it. I mean it. Just the conversations have been happening with my ministry team about as soon as we're in the building and we know we can afford it, you know, when can we start adding team members on, on staff so that we can do more with what God's given us? So there's a drive and there's a vision, and it's beginning to get exciting for every single person involved. So if you're not yet involved in ministry, this is a great time for you to jump in and start being trained and brought up into it. So, Well, we love you. God bless you. Remember, next Sunday, what time? 10 a.m. All right. Hang out in fellowship as long as you want or beat the Baptist to the buffet.